What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. Welcome to the In Session Film Podcast. Welcome to this podcast review for June 18th, 2023. And I'm Jada Duran. And I'm Brennan Cassidy. Hey, thanks for joining us, everybody. As of the day we are recording this, it is Father's Day, so we hope Happy everyone... Father's Day, J.D. Yeah, you're <laughs> the dad you. here, so of course we're celebrating you right now. I'm just the innocent bystander right now. Hey, no, I appreciate it. This will come out after the fact, so we hope that everyone had a great time, yep. uh, you know, celebrating with their fathers or reflecting on fatherhood in some way, whatever your situation may be, yeah. or we just hope you had I... a good Sunday. Regardless. Yeah, I like to think I like to think of this day as JD's version of Midnight Special Day. It is. <laughs> at least it based on what I see that. on Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> it really should be, at least from your point of view. Every year it just becomes a day for me to highlight and champion Midnight Special. Which is exciting One of the best because bad movies ever. I had a couple of replies asking, you know, what is that movie regarding the tweets that I sent out? And of course I yeah. get to emphatically reply. It's Midnight Special, and uh, I just get to to champion that movie. Some of them are like, oh, I kind of remember that movie, or I'll need to go back and revisit it. And there are a few replies I get going, yeah, Midnight Special is awesome, <laughs> which, you know, gives I some want to bet, yeah, 10 years, 10 years from now, it's going to be a, like a new cult classic or something like that. I hope so. I hope so. It's a great film and one that I will continue to champion. The film that we are about to discuss, however, may not be among those circles are we playing our cards way too early now <laughs> hey look i will say this it has a father in it and he may yeah, it's, it's, or may it's, not be it's really more mom oriented when you think about it it but... is more of a mom movie than a dad <laughs> yeah, it kind movie. of is <laughs> it's, it's a parent movie right it's, it's a parent movie it's a family film <laughs> it's a family um, film. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> whether you want to take your family to see it is what we might talk about but yeah uh-huh. it, 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 it does involve family it does involve parenting in some way i guess it does absolutely we are of course referring to the flash i'm not exactly sure how we are to label this film it is part of the dceu the old canon is that how we are going to refer to it as? I mean, now? at this point now, it's like okay, it's a it's a, it's it's a ba- it's based on a DC comic. That's basically all yeah. I kind of target these movies as now. Yeah, I mean, uh, so I don't know. It, it is interesting, and I feel like we've talked about this a few times in in the past, where you know we we just actually talked about this with James Cameron in Avatar, yeah. where this film was announced in 2014. 2014, yeah. they said, hey, we're going to do a Flash movie. It is the year of our Lord 2023, <laughs> nine years later, and this <laughs> film finally comes out. And how many directors were tied to this? Oh, uh, we, I don't we, even want to We know. probably should have done some research to talk about the production history that this movie has had, because I think that could be a trilogy in its own right. Yeah, I mean, it's it certainly had, I, I would venture a guess to say, at least multiple directoral changes Obviously, COVID had a big impact on it as well. And just yeah. the overall carnage that was happening over at DC from like 2015 till two years yeah. ago. It's been This movie caught itself in such an unfortunate reality because it, it, it had this premise really kind of basing itself off of the Flashpoint storyline. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, if this movie were to come out not too long after it was first announced... This could have been a pretty significant superhero movie in the whole mm-hmm. landscape of multiverse superhero movies, right? Yeah. Um, but, I mean, given the history that it had, it allowed Marvel to really catch up and play the game first. And mm-hmm. 
sadly, it doesn't really do this movie any favors when you think about it. I agree. I agree. Here's some info for you, Brendan. Are you ready for this? Yeah, I am. So Warner Brothers originally hired David S. Goyer to write and direct and produce this film. Now this, I will say, I think that might even predate the um, the DCEU as we know it to be now. But yeah. he was originally attached. And then at some point, George, George Miller had signed on to oh direct. Oh, my gosh. And this, I was, is, this yeah. is starting to come back to me. I think I remember some of this now. Yeah. And then, of course, all of the chaos later, we get to what it is now <laughs> with Andy Muschietti directing Please. this movie, starring Ezra Miller and Ezra Miller. Yeah. As well as Michael Keaton. Uh, Michael Shannon has an appearance in this film. And my God, if nothing else, The Flash has produced some of our new favorite interview clips with the one and only Michael Shannon. <laughs> his does he, to even, about does he even remember being in this movie? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so at all. But my God, some of those clips and interview quotes of him in interviews talking about this movie is quite glorious. God... God, yeah. God love Michael Th- Shannon. This movie is officially a masterpiece just because yeah. it exists to allow those interviews to happen. Yeah, we must protect him at all costs. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, it stars a bunch of others. Kirsty Clemens, uh, Sasha Cal, Ron Livingston, uh, among a bunch of others that come and go throughout the film. Um, this is The Flash. I think we know what we're getting into with this film. We've all seen the trailers. Mm-hmm. We know the story of The Flash. And I think it's fair to say that this is going to end up being some sort of course correction with James Gunn now heading the DCEU. They've made that very public. We won't necessarily get into details right now. Maybe we can get into some spoilers at the end of all of this. Maybe. (laughs) If need be. (laughs) I don't know if I could see this movie as that course correction they're talking about. If it is, it's not there yet. I I will say, I do think they very pragmatically have that course correction. Yeah. Which we can get into. Now, for better or worse, okay. is up for debate. <laughs> but the, it is there. Yeah. It is fair. technically there. Uh, so let's talk about the film, Brendan. What did you think about <laughs> The Flash? Also known as the film that what Dave, David Zaslav says is the greatest superhero movie ever made. Uh, is that what he said about it when it premiered? It, it wasn't just him. I feel like there was a lot of people saying that. And I don't want to discredit people for really enjoying this movie. I really don't. Um, I'm glad that there are some people out there who are finding a lot of things that are charming about this movie. And I will give the film this. Of the current DCEU films that we've been seeing that are sort of like tying a bow on this first phase, if you will, of the Mm -hmm. DCEU, I will give The Flash at least some credit for trying to do something a bit bolder and a bit uh, more tender, I guess, emotionally speaking. I feel like it is at least striving for something that movies like Black Adam and Shazam 2 weren't even thinking about. So I guess for that reason, I'll... I'll I'll say this very politely when I say I did not like this movie at all. Um, I I, I, I respect what it's going for, but I don't know. I think this is a movie that completely collapses on itself for many reasons, one of them being just visually speaking. (laughs) We'll talk a lot about the film visually, and even Andy Muschietti, the director here, has talked about the film's CGI and how purposefully wonky they're supposed to look but that's not the problem the problem Mm -hmm. is that it just looks bland and dull Uh, it's really more of a editing and coloring thing that's the biggest problem here as to why it looks the way it does there's uh, this big major confusion that i think the film has for um uh, uh trying to be inventive when it's really just extremely aerobatic and there's really a major difference there if you ask me like mm-hmm. that 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 does not equal inventiveness and we'll talk a lot about some of the action sequences and how i think they fall into those trappings but I, I, the, the biggest problem i think the film has is trying to commit to something emotional with regard to how we feel about our past trauma and how they shape us and how we sometimes can't change that 
but for a film to really find such a um such a such a relishing in that past and using it for strictly fan service i think completely contradicts what its message ultimately is mm-hmm. and that's a major problem I, I i think the film just doesn't commit to what i think it's trying to go for even though i do respect what it's going for um mm-hmm. so it just it, it did not work for me and i think another problem i have is it kind of falls into the whole um kind of the minion syndrome as i call it there are certain characters that i think fit better in the realm of like supporting player as opposed to lead player Mm -hmm. and i think this version of the flash played by ezra miller is one of those i just don't know if i see this iteration of barry allen as a lead given ezra miller's performance i don't think they're technically bad in the movie uh, but i don't know if it's a lead character if that makes sense sure uh, and and, and I'm, I, I kind of felt that here too. The movie's just, from an editing standpoint, it's kind of a disaster, <laughs> if you ask me. Uh, and I, 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 based on the way you're nodding, I think we'll talk a lot about that and maybe uh-huh. even agree on some things. But yeah, I didn't care for it. I, I, I think it's a huge missed opportunity, especially given the hype that's mm-hmm. been surrounding it uh, and what it's attempting to go for. It just it did not work for me. And any attempt that it's trying to uh, go for with regard to its themes or its multiversal concepts or some of its extreme fan service just did not feel right. It just felt pandering, and that's the worst kind to me. So mm-hmm. I don't know, I'll toss it back over to you, but I-, I was really disappointed in this one. Yeah, before I get into my thoughts on the film, and you certainly make a lot of great points, I do want to talk about the discourse surrounding this film because it is yeah. absolutely insufferable. It's loud. It it's is loud. Incredibly wild. A lot of the criticisms uh, that's being lofted at this film and you're certainly getting into quite a few of them, I don't think are unwarranted, but mm-hmm. I do think the Flash has I, I think it's indicative of film criticism and how there has, over the course of the last few years, certainly post-Endgame, how at least within film criticism, there has been this development of overt cynicism that is being lofted at the genre. Yeah, And that, to me, I think is a little disingenuous, and I think it's a little self-serving, Um, And it's something that I have not really participated in all that much. I've actively avoided it for the most part, because I do think that when we look at phase four for Marvel, whether it be DC or otherwise, I think this genre still has plenty to offer. Earlier this year, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 comes out and we all really liked it. Borderline loved it. A lot of us loved it. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was pretty good, but but still, like that that was a decent movie. It, was the, a decent it did movie. some things that I yeah. I mean, of course, you also have Spider Man Across the Spider Verse. The which next is a complete, example I was going yeah, to bring com- up. Everyone yeah. loved that movie. So to me, I think a lot of this comes down to not how tired we are of the genre. I think a lot of it comes down to execution, and I do think there's something to be said about Marvel and perhaps how at times they become bogged down by the system and everything is formulaic and visually everything has become pretty tepid. And I do think that's fair. There are outliers, of course, such as guardians of the galaxy volume three or Eternals, Eternals. baby. Absolutely. I, I think when they have the right filmmakers that have some sort of sense of a visual eye that does come through in those movies. And those are two of the better movies we've seen post Endgame. In the MCU, as as far as I'm concerned, anyway. Um, So I think a lot of this simply comes down to letting filmmakers be filmmakers and and kind of stretch outside the, the formula, if you will. And when that's happened, we've all collectively agreed, hey, these movies are still fun. These movies are good. So the overt cynicism to me becomes disingenuous because then it's it's a matter of all, me yeah. wanting attention and me wanting to have some sort of self-serving uh, social media presence. And I don't think that it does these films or the genre any sort of service outside of that. Well, it completely changes the agenda from that critic if yeah. they have that mindset going into a quote-unquote superhero movie. Uh, yeah. Because then they're basing their criticism on 
the what and yeah. solely the what. And that's kind of a problem. I, I agree. I agree. And then the other part of that is the extremes. This is one of the worst movies I have ever seen. This is the greatest animated film of all time. And look, maybe that's true for into the. I love how you had to back up from your microphone for that, just for emphasis. And look, you know the Spider Spider Verse movies are great, and maybe that's true. There's a discussion to be had there. My point, yeah. in saying that is that the extremes lack nuance, and again feeds into the disingenuous nature, yeah. of the discourse. The nuance is more interesting. I, I mean, that's I what's agree. more interesting. Because sometimes movies, one single movie can be, it can sometimes be both of those extremes all at once, depending on what qualities you're talking mm. about, right? And sadly, that doesn't get discussed as much. I agree. And I say all of that to say, I wanted to bring that up because one, it's insufferable. And <laughs> I'm that's where I find <laughs> these films tiring. It's not the movies themselves. It is often the, the discourse. It's like sports. Sometimes the fans are the ones that make, they you make hate it a the worst. Team. A- absolutely. <laughs> and so I wanted to say all of that to say I walked into the Flash with an open mind. I was not cynical toward this movie. I was open to what it wanted to give me, and even coming out of it, I did not want to just attack this movie with brazen cynicism. Because I I think there's no value in that. No, I agree. Now that said, is The Flash the worst superhero movie of all time? I, I don't know. In fact, that's not a question that I find all that interesting. Is it good? No. I'm with you, Brendan. I don't think this is a good movie. I don't think it's good. And we can talk about that. And you certainly laid out a lot of the same problems I have with the film. Narratively, it's extremely disjointed. It's often pandering. Visually, it is insipid, uh, incredibly hollow in many regards. Mm. And Ezra Miller, I think, can be a good actor. I don't love their performance here. Both iterations of them... Perhaps the secondary iteration of Barry Allen is a little interesting here because mm-hmm. the character is uh, is a little innocent. He's coming into all of this completely blind and uncertain. Yes. And yes, there, I agree. There's, I agree. There's a fascinating evolution with the character uh, that makes that performance, I think, certainly more compelling and trickier to pull off. And I think they do a decent enough job of making that inter- inter- that uh, iteration of the character, excuse me, yep. I think compelling enough. Our yep. central Barry that comes from our world of the DCEU as what we see at the beginning of the film, that performance is much less interesting to me. And disjointed, I, I think throughout a lot, they are asked to deliver humor that is very uneven, there's a sense of urgency to the character that doesn't always come through in the performance or even when it's there. I just, mm-hmm. I don't know if the credence is there. And then as you noted, they are asked to render blistering emotion at the end of the film. And in a vacuum, I think that's effective to me. That's what has made Ezra Miller a fascinating actor in their career yeah, I don't. I just don't know because of the screenplay and the storytelling, the editing of the film. I don't know if oh it's my gosh, earned. the editing. Oh <laughs> so, my like gosh. in a vacuum, that <laughs> like that last. This is not a movie. Like this does not feel like a movie. <laughs> I, I agree. I mean, that last sequence we get in the grocery store there in a vacuum, really wonderful stuff. I I I I do love it. Well, you also have Maribel Verdu in that scene. I, so I agree. I, I think I think she's if there's any performance here that is genuinely great, I think it, it's mostly from her. Yeah, but even if I'm looking at Ezra Miller, that scene in a vacuum, I think is affecting. Now, does the mm-hmm. film earn that? No, I don't think it does. Yeah. Um, so if if it is elevated or if there is any credence, it's certainly just because of the 
the the capabilities of Miller as an actor. But on yeah. the whole, I think their performance here is uneven, to, to say the least. And then there's the, yeah. the, the cameos, and I don't even know what to... It's bewildering. <laughs> it is absolutely <laughs> puzzling. Kind of, dis, kind of distasteful, uh, given who they choose, I'll simply say. Yeah, certainly distasteful. <sighs> now, I think Keaton is a lot of fun. In fact, honestly, yeah. I think The Flash is the best when it's a Batman movie. <laughs> you know, whether that well, be... Well, just goes to show how great <laughs> Keaton was in this role and how much we love those Batman movies, especially Batman Returns. So I, yeah. I, I couldn't help but think, is it is it Keaton actually doing a good job here or is it just my nostalgia for my love of the Burton universe yeah. that's sort of tricking me into thinking that Batman's great here? Because at times I thought, oh man, yeah, Keaton is Batman. This is great, great to see. But then other times I thought... Does Keaton even want to be here? <laughs> it, it, it kind of it kind of straddles the line a little bit for me. Well, you know, where I find Keaton compelling is one when we're first introduced to him, there's a goofiness to it that I think is that's great. Very playful yeah. and funny. And I do think he taps into that in a really great way. And then even when he commits to helping out Barry Allen, there's an action scene of sorts that while visually it's certainly a pa- it's certainly pandering a little bit, but I think Keaton does a great job of embodying the character enough that there is fun to be had there. And then given where, how the character crystallizes, it's almost a little bit of that Harrison Ford force awakens thing <laughs> where it's like, I'm just ready to yeah. wipe my hands of this. And I think yeah. because of that idea he does deliver, I think, an interesting performance. So when the film is emphasizing Batman, I do think that it's actually somewhat compelling. And even going back to that opening sequence of the film, when we get the Ben Affleck version of the character, I think he's the best part of that sequence. So, <laughs> which yeah, to be fair, I didn't care for that sequence all that much from an action standpoint. Uh, same, Just yeah. From, yeah, like I, again, this is where I think the film confuses aerobatics for um, uh, inventiveness because mm-hmm. there's a moment that involves Barry Allen saving, I'll just say a bunch of infants, <laughs> which uh, like, on paper, that is not, that that that's a fairly interesting and inventive idea, but in execution, it's like, th- th- this movie doesn't know what to do with that. I, I agree. Uh, and, 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 yeah, and to uh, your point, not only is it lacking or the, like it, there's certainly a sleight of hand in the sense that the yeah. film thinks it's doing something interesting there, but it is quite antithetical to that. And not only are the visuals drab and absolutely horrendous to me, I want to know why, like how did the film get to this point? We've talked about how this film <laughs> went through production hell. So yes, they've had nine years to make this movie. I don't think they've been actively working on this film for nine years, though. To me, it felt like, okay, we shot the main scenes. You have two months to finish the visuals. Is is somewhat how it, <laughs> it feels. Because not only has the technology evolved over the last 15, 20 years, but you think of something like the Quicksilver scene in the X-Men movie. Or even in the MCU, I was just going back to that. Age of Ultron. Yeah, that, the, the, the sequences here are ripping directly from what Quicksilver is doing in both Days of Future Past and Apocalypse. But you think about the inventiveness of those scenes and also how they're visually intuitive, like in a genuine yeah, way. Because the camera kind of slows down literally with the main character's perspective, right? Or that that particular character's perspective. Evan Peters is Quicksilver in those moments. So mm-hmm. there's actually a sense of proper staging. There's a sense of place. There's mm-hmm. actually some gravity and weight to it. Um, so the choreography kind of works. But here, the camera just doesn't stop moving. Yeah. And when it isn't moving, it's just covered with blue lightning bolts. It's yeah. and, and like that's that's not interesting to me. And when it's not doing that. I mean, we often hear these criticisms these days, right, about the MCU and how uh, sometimes their their films look a little desaturated, right? Like they're just like the color grading's just not right. Mm-hmm. 
if those people are complaining about those movies but think this movie looks great, then I can't take you seriously. Yeah. I, I, like th- this, this could have been a black and white movie, and I might have been yeah. like, like I might not have noticed it. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And say what you will about the desaturation and the colorization of of the MCU, and I don't wholly disagree with those criticisms, but the CGI and the worlds they build at least have a slight tangibility to them, or at least it looks yeah. sharp. And a little bit crisp. It doesn't look like you're in a video game from 2001, which is what the visuals of this <laughs> film render. And yeah, it's like like, like if, if it wanted to be quirky, then that's fine. But that's not what this is doing. It, it, yeah. that, that's, the, that's a major difference there. Yeah, and I don't, any excuse Andy Muschietti wants to throw out there, look, God bless him. And again, we empathize with, how this mm-hmm. film was under production hell for quite a long time. But given the technology and where it is these days and the fact that you have multiple scenes to reference from these types of heroes in previous movies, there really is no excuse for the visuals to be so wretched as they are in this oh my film. Gosh, yeah. And and it's really, really bad and it it really takes you out of the movie. At least it, it certainly took me out of the movie. It, like, it, it did for me as well like, because I kept I kept thinking to myself, you know, you mentioned Andy Muschietti there, who is the director of this movie. I, I really want to know everything that happened in those nine years leading to this final product because I am half tempted to not even want to consider this as part of Andy Muschietti's filmography. Like, like, like when I look at movies like Mama or It, Chapter one and two. Now that first it I actually think is quite good. And even Mama, I think, has some pretty interesting mm-hmm. things in it. And whether you like those movies or not is kind of beside the point. But when I look at the style of those movies and what directorial choices that Andy Muschietti was making there, I sense none of them here. I, mm-hmm. I, I just I don't sense any of them. And even in some of these other DCEU movies that I didn't care for, such as let's say Shazam Two, okay, I could still sense some of what David Sandberg has done in some of his previous films. Uh, very mm-hmm. little, but I could still sense a few moments in there that would have come from his from his eye. Uh, but mm-hmm. I don't sense any. I don't really sense any of uh, Muschietti in this movie. Yeah, and it kind of makes me wonder. Like, <laughs> did he really direct anything, or was he just overseeing a broken product to get to the release date? Uh, yeah. I, I just I don't know. I really yeah. don't know. I, I agree. I, I I'm not sure what the the issue was there, what what the block was in terms of the visuals and how they went from the beginning stages of it all to the final render. But it's it's not good, and I do think it is disengaging in the film, especially yeah. when you co- couple it with what you're saying in terms of the kineticness of the camera and just the overall energy of these scenes they're they're certainly lacking uh a compelling flavor to them and yeah. and then the visuals just completely take me out of it and Ezra Miller's performance on top of it as we talked about earlier I don't think can overcome the visuals and how uh insipid they are here I will say yeah, though I'm if I want to give the film some credit because you know we were talking about Keaton and how he's utilized here. And on the whole, despite how pandering it ultimately is, especially some of the lines of dialogue that he's forced to deliver, I truly thought some of those were just there for the trailer. I was being optimistic about that. Oh my I was God. wrong. And there, <laughs> I was wrong. I, I was hoping you were right. And uh, the other thing I was hoping too is that if they were going to be in the movie, at least have them be well-timed and have them make sense within the script. Yeah. And they don't. Like like when when Bruce Wayne says, You wanna get nuts, let's get nuts. It makes it no sense make as sense. to why he would say that. Yeah. It's just it's strictly there for pandering. Yeah. That's all it is. And even I'm Bat I'm Batman makes a lot more sense, but even still given the, the time scene it that comes at the out. wrong time because yeah, like like we've spent so much time in that bat cave already for him to then say that it's like well, duh. It's like, well, like, who else would you be? And a few scenes earlier in the kitchen is when our Barry Allen, you know, lets the cat out of the bag and Bruce, yeah. you're Batman. And the other Barry Allen is like, what? 
Bruce Wayne is Batman? Yeah. <laughs> like, so there's, yeah, no, there's no surprise there. So <laughs> at that point, it's all been established. Everybody knows who everybody is at that point. So by the time he walks up there on that platform and says, I'm Batman, who is that for other than the audience? Yeah, that's it. That's it. So, uh, yeah, I, I do agree, although I, I find that less egregious than the let's get nuts line. I, I, mm. I will say, I wanted to throw that out there, but on the whole, I do like the Keaton stuff because, again, of the Harrison Ford, Force Awakens thing, the like a send-off sure. to the character. And and given how it crystallizes, I think Keaton does a great job of, of tapping into the character in the same spirit Harrison Ford did in The Force Awakens. Um, I But I, I want to circle back to my central point where I was going with all of that because... Mm-hmm narratively as disjointed as this film is, I do want to give it a little bit of credit because we know that this is going not just back in time, but into the multiverse. However, it takes a long time to get there. And I kind of appreciate what it was trying to do in the sense that Barry Allen goes back in time and his motives are affable, maybe a little ignorant, perhaps a little, um, childish, but he's mm-hmm. driven by grief and it's understandable he would make those choices. He then runs into himself and chaos ensues. Yeah. Uh, however, whatever universe he ended up in, we stay there for a long time. In fact, yeah. we, we don't really ever leave that universe until the final scene of the movie. So I, I kind of appreciate that while the marketing of the film and its central premise promises all of these cameos as egregious as they are at times, (laughs) but we knew that we were going to get a ton of other cameos. And I, and I kind of love how the film almost subverts that idea a little bit because almost, yeah, almost (laughs) because the, the plotting of this film really just comes down to Barry Allen found himself here. How he got here, maybe he doesn't fully know, but this is where he is. He sees Zod coming down to Earth and understands what the cost of that is and decides that this world is worth saving. And so the plotting of the film simply revolves around that, revolves around let's find Bruce Wayne. Let's find Wonder Woman. Oh, she's not here. Let's find Aquaman. Oh, he's not here. Superman, Mm -hmm. let's go find him. They go off to do that. It's not Superman. It turns out that it's Superwoman. Supergirl? Supergirl. Supergirl. Yeah, Supergirl, I think, is uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> is how she's officially dubbed. Yeah, so yeah. Supergirl. And, and so now we have to go battle Zod. And even in that battle, it's pretty self-contained. And it's always going to play out the same way. So I kind of find it fascinating how... It promises the multiverse, but somewhat contradicts that. Like almost in an interesting way, at least on paper. The idea I find the idea compelling is, yeah. that we're not just, it's not Doctor Strange uh, in, in, in his multiverse where we're, we're very literally going to all of these different worlds. This is really just Barry going to one other world. And yeah. because of his actions at times, like worlds almost start to collide and that's where things get chaotic and yeah. egregious but yeah. that is it's a sliver of this film like all of the, that egregious criticism that people have like can you believe this and can you believe that person's here and look i don't disagree with that necessarily but it's like literally a minute and a half of this movie so i mm-hmm. i kind of appreciate its self-contained ideas does that make sense the ex- the execution isn't it, there it, it, but it's it, at it least does. it's a smaller bubble than you would think walking I, in I, I think the reason why some of those quote-unquote cameos, as brief as they are, leave such an impact is because everything leading up to those points, at least for us, felt so uh, uh, misguided. So we find ourselves is. focusing on the stuff. I'm not saying it's stuff. not, to be fair. Yeah, and, and maybe that's why we're focusing on the pandering stuff so much because it's what is hitting us most in the face, right? Even if it is brief, which is why it does come off as pandering, especially for a movie that, that uh, ends exactly. up being... a yep. Yeah, and especially for a movie that is ultimately all about 
the the bad things of those past. In fact, thematically speaking, it's kind of Last Jedi like uh, in, in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so so to then have a sense of pandering for those cameos makes it feel even more hypocritical, which is probably by accident. I don't think that was its intent at all. Um, but I will say to give some credit to the film, like you're doing. Uh, the way that the film does visualize these multiversal and time travel components, that's the part I thought was at least most visually inventive. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way that Barry does discover his ability to manipulate time. Uh, I, I, I do think that was at least kind of interesting. And I, I don't know if it earns where it goes in the end, but I will at least give the film credit in its third act for essentially suggesting how everything that is happening in this movie from a MacGuffin adventure Mm -hmm. conflict standpoint means absolutely nothing. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So (laughs) by the time this film ends, yeah, by the time the film ends, this specific world that we spent our time in means absolutely nothing. Literally. Like it just kind of like, I'm trying to be vague in how I describe it for a spoiler sake, but it just kind of, dissipates right yeah Yeah. fate Uh, has rendered that specific world a certain way that makes the choices of these characters in the end futile yeah and i like that the ending is at least trying to commit to that yeah um so again that's why i'm trying to give the film some credit and when i say i like the film more than let's say movies like shazam 2 or black adam there's at least something there that it's trying to go for that I think mm-hmm. those films didn't even bother to try. Yes. Uh, so yeah. it, uh, now I don't think this film is really any more um, memorable <laughs> than those other two in some ways. Um, but I do think there are elements that it's trying to do that make me respect it more. Uh, and those are definitely examples of that. Yeah, no, I, I think that's very fair. And as I noted, I, I do appreciate what it's trying to do. It does not come close to succeeding, <laughs> but <laughs> I I at least like the the idea on paper. I can see what they were wanting yeah. to do, um, and you know th- that's why I wanted to reiterate at the very beginning of this conversation that so much of this simply comes down to quality, to execution. Yeah, you know, yeah. you know, we talked about Michael Shannon and him being in this movie and does he even remember? I think what's all the more (laughs) hilarious about that is how underutilized he is, but maybe that's part of the irony, right? Because Zod's purpose here is very specific and it's somewhat Mm -hmm. limited that honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if Michael Shannon just said, just CGI me in so I don't have to be there. And I'm yeah, giving I you permission to do that. It almost feels that way. And honestly, given the visual nature of this film, it makes sense. You know, like just see Jamie. Yeah. And maybe that's why he doesn't remember being there because he wasn't. <laughs> like, I don't know. I wonder, if, I wonder if this was an AI performance. Maybe, maybe it was an AI. Look, I'm, I'm obviously joking there. Don't come at me in the comments. Uh, but, you know, it, it certainly you know is is a little interesting in that regard that it's so self-contained yeah. and and very specific, uh, but so underutilized. I, like all of yeah. these characters are underutilized, and if that is going to be the case, it begs the question: is like how does that serve Barry Allen's characterization here? I don't think any of it does, and to me, that's where it becomes pandering. At that point. Yep. Like, yep. You know, like we'll get to this in another review. I saw another film earlier this week. It's called Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Anyway, (laughs) we'll get to it later on. But there are cameos in that film that are so purposeful to amplifying the central character and his purpose in that movie. And there are certainly other examples that, that we could talk about. You know, I'm I'm not against cameo. I'm not against using nostalgia if it's meant to, you know, heighten the drama of the film or the central characters, the themes, whatever it may be. And and again, we'll certainly get to that in Dial of Destiny. To to me, none of that is effective here. It doesn't really do I anything agree. regarding Barry's character, and and that's where it just feels like, hey, is Michael Keaton available? 
Let's let's that, see if we can bring him back. <laughs> that was yeah. It almost felt like a like a like a blatant distraction for everything that wasn't working with the movie already. Mm. Um, and, and yeah, you're right. There is a lot of uh, underutilization happening happening here, and it's not just with uh, Michael Shannon, but poor Sasha Cal as Supergirl because when mm. she's on screen, there's at least a potential for a compelling presence. Yeah, there. she's and, awesome. I, I do. Yeah, love her. but she's barely. In the movie enough to even warrant awesomeness, it, it, like like, yeah. like she's kind of forgotten about, and and I get that there is maybe a purpose to that when we get to the, the to the climax here, but when she's on screen, she's barely even allowed to become a character. Yeah, uh, she's she, just, she's, like, she's just a thing. Well, and yeah, and it's interesting, like okay, given the premise of the film, or at least the setup of her character, you think about how that's established how she intersects with Barry and Bruce Wayne. Okay. Mm -hmm. There's that element of the film. It's really not that much later. There's a couple of scenes. There's one major scene where she's at, you know, Wayne Manor having a conversation Mm -hmm. with one of the Barry's on the rooftop. Aside from that, the rest of her character is that final battle. And again, I don't want to give and it away really for spoilers, just, but there's but, but 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 she barely even talks. It's a lot of just like punching and hitting and flying around really quickly. Well, and, and also you think about like how her arc ends in this film, yeah, and it continuously yeah. ends the same way. Where it's like, what's the point here? <laughs> like, yeah. at least like yeah. you know what I mean. Like from from where yeah, I'm yeah, trying to you. dance around spoilers here, but from where she's contained early on to let's have one moment where she's on a rooftop talking about Cal Al and where she comes from. And then it's her against Zod. Let's see how this goes. Four or five yeah. different, like it just feels like she, there's nothing for her to do here. Um, and, and again, yeah. I would be okay with that if it served Barry and if others think that, she does, then great. I'm I'm glad you find it I'd, that way. I'd love but. to hear those points of view as to maybe the thematic uh, connectivity of Supergirl and Barry and how that all intersects. Because I it's something didn't I didn't it. get. I didn't, I didn't, yeah, find, I didn't it. find it either. Uh, now, if someone has a very uh, um, sound and valid reason as to why she does, I would love to hear those thoughts because it's just something I didn't sense. Yeah. Again, I think her and Keaton, their primary role here is to go to that final battle and experience what they do over and over and over again, because ultimately it has to come to this idea of fate and how unstoppable that is. And in a microcosm, I can see that connective tissue. I just don't see it there an execution that is that's really my yeah. issue with it all so. I, I i'm with you I, it's it's strictly an execution thing um and it's it's unfortunate it really is uh, before we get out of here get to final thoughts do you want to talk a little spoilers i want to talk a few spoilers well, here let, let's be quick about it uh, we can at least acknowledge who we actually see at the end or i should say who was digitally imposed at the yeah. end of there's, this yeah movie. there's there's kind of there's the world's colliding moment which we'll talk about and yeah. i also want to talk about that final scene so okay just and also, there's a cameo in the opening scene that, like, what's that what's one the did really take me by surprise. Um, <laughs> but also, like, is it necessary? <laughs> like, she's in the neighborhood. Oh, I gave it away. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, like, okay. Oh, I, I mean, I mean, Shazam 2 gave it away, so I guess yeah, this true. one has to have her now. <laughs> They're really doing everything they can to just tie this whole Justice League up and, you know, wrap yeah. a bow on it and say, yeah, th- this iteration's done. We're moving on. We're wrapping a lasso on it. Um, yeah, a okay. lasso of truth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, the truth is, I'm not buying it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Here, from here on out, spoilers for The Flash. I assume most of you watching, listening have seen the film. But just in case you haven't, spoilers for the rest of this conversation. So I guess let's first talk about the world's colliding sequence because this is where we get so many of those egregious cameos, mm-hmm. which visually speaking, it's very muddled as the rest of this movie is. But aside from its murkiness, what did you think of all of that, Brendan? I, 
it didn't work for me. And I think a lot of it is an execution thing. Um, I think it, it goes back to something that we said earlier, or at least I was acknowledging that while these moments are brief, everything leading up to it feels so misguided that we just can't help but feel like these worlds colliding are like a hammer hitting us for with this fan service. So it's mm-hmm. just all that we latch onto. So when we see a digitally imposed Nicolas Cage as Superman, uh, which okay, I like the idea of him being here, given the uh, the meta quality of that. But I just wish they really would have gotten Nicolas Cage. That's, <laughs> it's, well, it's just, and it's I'm so glad you brought that up, Brendan, because I joked earlier about Michael Shannon and him just suggesting just CG I me into this. They actually did do yeah. that. Yeah, they yeah. did. They did, but they didn't just do that with him. They also did that with a few oh, yeah. dead actors who have played Superman before. It's like, you could have just asked Brandon Routh to do it, and I would have been satisfied, but you have to get a digitally imposed Christopher Reeve back, uh, mm-hmm. and, and George Reeves as well. Yeah, so, George Reeves. Uh, yeah. And then you also have Helen Slater, as the uh, you know who played Supergirl, what, in the early 80s, I think it mm-hmm. was. Um, and, and as far as I know, like they're credited in the film, but did they actually act in the movie like I just I don't know if they actually appear but what we see visually suggests that they didn't um so it, it, it mean it, it looks even worse than what we complained about with um the return of Tarkin in Rogue One <laughs> it, yeah. it looks way worse than that um so it, like they just they didn't work for me because it just it, it felt like it reeked of a desperate attempt mm-hmm. to cover its tracks uh yeah. even despite thematically speaking it's going for something that I think is potentially interesting but it doesn't feel like it cares about that. And that's the that's the major problem for me. Yeah, I think my biggest issue, aside from the ethical argument, and yeah. I do think the criticisms lofted at this film in that specific regard are more than warranted when you talk about Christopher Reeve and Helen Slater, as you're talking about, or yeah. George Reeves. And if you know the story of George Reeves, and how that yeah. relates to S- Superman, it is all the more harrowing. If yeah. he was alive, he would not have approved of this. Absolutely mm-hmm. would not have approved of this. Superman ultimately cost him his life. There's mm-hmm. a lot of controversy surrounding his death, but it is more than um, well known that you know the, the depression that came with him as a result of that, of of being that character. He did not love being Superman at the end of his life. So I, I, you know, including him here is appalling. Uh, The Nicholas, I mean, unless the attempt was meant to be like a a form of respect or a tribute, but it doesn't come off that way. This is where it, you know, where I think aside from the ethical argument, my main issue with this is like it doesn't like the what we see visually. I guess we're in the spoilers. I don't have to really dance around it. So we have yeah. the berries fighting over, you know, the, the fate of this what this battle that they're in, and yeah. we just have to let these character. We have to let this world die, and one of them, the the berry that's from there, the innocent one we talked about earlier. He mm-hmm. is fighting uh, tooth and nails to save his world. Understandable. Yeah. Our our Barry from the DCEU understands that there's nothing they can do. It, yep. Like fate has determined that this world has to suffer. It has to die. And so the the conflict of that renders the multiverse colliding. And so we see these these different worlds that are starting to collide. Okay, I can understand that theoretically. Yeah. I'm not against that. My issue is visually what we see are these worlds are coming together to collide. And how do we represent these different worlds? Well, we're going to have a close-up on the Supermans of these different worlds or these DCU characters from (laughs) these different worlds to show that this is the George Reeves world. This is... The uh, the Nicolas Cage world or whatever the cameo is. And the way they, they stare into yeah. whatever this portal that's opening, it's like 
Yeah, I don't know about like, isn't it painfully awkward to watch that? Like, it just it yeah. it doesn't look like natural, well, like a realization. That and that to me is why it's pandering because all that it is, whether it's Nick Cage or George Reeves or whoever, as the world spins into view, it's just the character staring at the audience, waiting for yeah. applause. That's all yeah. that it is. When you compare that to, let's say. Doctor Strange in his multiverse movie. When we see the X-Men characters arrive, at least there's a dramatic reasoning for it. Is it effective is. or not? You know, that's debatable. Well, it's more effective than this because they actually have, you know, at they least actually feel like purpose. characters for a brief moment. Yes. Yeah. There is a reason for them to be there. There's there's an interaction. There's an there. interaction. Here there's no interaction. They're they're literally there for audience approval, for us to applaud at. Yeah. Hey, look at that. Nick Cage as Superman. Isn't that funny? Or here's a yeah. couple of dead actors that played the character. Isn't that, isn't that great? We're showing reverence here. Like, to me, it, it's 1,000% there for audience pandering and nothing yeah. else because they, they don't yeah. have any sort of physical, tangible reasoning to be here other than Agreed. to demonstrate in this world, it's, it's this cameo's world that's it yeah and i think there's better ways to represent that than to tiptoe the line ethically i don't that to me is dangerous and it's certainly evident and a lot of the criticism lofted at the film and i personally don't love it either I don't. I don't love it. I don't. Even, I don't love it visually. I don't love the way it comes off. Again, it's just misguided. I think we've been using that word a lot, and I think this is another big example of it. Yes. Okay. Let's talk about the ending scene. So the final scene. Yeah. Uh, apparently, when this debuted at was it CinemaCon? I'm trying to recall. Uh, I think it was CinemaCon. Um, yeah. Again, I, I don't quite remember. So maybe our listeners can help us out. Yeah. There. I yeah. I'm. I could be misremembering which one it was, but. I did read that the ending was a little bit more ambiguous there and way more effective. And I would have loved to have seen that. Yeah. Because ultimately what we get at the end of the theatrical cut is another one of those. Hey, gotcha. Cameos. Um, now, regardless of what you think oh of, <laughs> of, of the Batman, we get there and look, maybe it's a little bit funny. However, I will say this. They, at the very least, they they finally have their cake where James Gunn can, can kind of move forward because when Barry comes back, it's not Ben Affleck anymore. And yeah. it's a different Batman. And that's how the film ends. I, I kind of love that there is no conclusion there, that the last mm-hmm. shot of this film is simply a look of confusion on Barry. I, I do kind of appreciate that in a vacuum, um, regardless of how we feel about the cameo. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't necessarily mind the choice of the cameo. I, I don't think either. it's really just. Uh, I, I guess. I mean, we're in spoilers. Can we say who it is? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, it's, we can say it's, it's, George, it's, it's George Clooney. Clooney. It's George Clooney, yeah. who is who is someone who has always apologized for Batman and Robin. Yeah. <laughs> so it's. So yeah. the fact that he's here, I mean, I kind of appreciate that he's here, but yeah. I think the thing that leaves a bad taste in my mouth is more due to what we're hearing off movie is that apparently they're, even despite this new DCU that's coming, I'm hearing so many reports that a Flash 2 is apparently already written and there is the possibility that they're going to explore more in this. It's like, well, then what are they doing? I have no idea what's well, even happening in, here. And this is where, I mean, that kind of makes sense depending to on kind of what they do. I, I assume that yeah. in the sequel, they're going to commit to Barry now just accepting that this is the world that he lives in. And uh, maybe, yeah, maybe they'll get into the multiverse narrative of the impossibilities of him getting back to his world, the Ben Affleck Batman world. Maybe it's yeah. just not possible or it's extremely challenging for him to actually get back there because of how they explain the multiverse in this movie. Yeah. And maybe he's just going to commit to being here now, especially given what we see there in the courtroom. His father is now able to get out of prison he can start a life with his father. Maybe that, you know, and that, as we know, he's obviously still reveling in his grief for his mother. And that's turned on this endless motivation to get his father out of prison. 
he's now achieved yeah. that. Maybe he doesn't want to leave. And so this yeah. is the world that he wants to be in, which now has Clooney as Batman. <laughs> uh, and I mean, okay. And, and, and that's kind of where Blue Beetle comes in. And then all of these other characters that James Gunn is going to you know get into with his DCEU, whatever that looks like, it, it's now in the Clooney world. So like, mm. you know, he's gonna. He, is he that now something has people are clam- Is that something people are clamoring for to see George Clooney just reoccur this role multiple times? Well, and so, and that's the thing. Like, you have a new slate of DC movies to make. Eventually, you're going to want to have Batman by having Clooney as the character in that final scene. Does that mean? That that he has to now be Batman in this world, like that's I what really it implies not. to me. <laughs> I, I I I really hope. I'm I'm just I'm so confused, and maybe that's a cool thing, but I'm just so confused as to where this universe ends and the new one begins. Still, and it's like it's supposed to be happening soon. Yeah. I just I don't know what to expect anymore. Well, like I I'm less confused, assuming that again Barry commits to being to this world where things get complex or I don't know mm-hmm. is is the Clooney bit and yeah. because if he's Bruce Wayne in this world then you have to commit to him it being Bruce Wayne in the, or maybe Batman isn't Bruce Wayne in this world maybe it's somebody else maybe Bruce Wayne's just Bruce Wayne yeah yeah I, I mean I guess I that's always possible we'll see what James Gunn wants to do with that but I assume yeah. that's where the course correction lies because we all think at the end of this movie, when he gets back to his apartment, oh, he's back in his in his main world, which yeah. we never see how he gets there. We ju- he just arrives conveniently. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I mean, I thought it was it, it felt kind of obvious that something was going to happen at the end that suggests he's not back in his own world. OK, uh, yeah. And, and, and that's yeah, yeah. what Gunn had been talking about, because he, yeah. he has stated that this film now gives him his playground. Well, that there it is. Yeah. That that reveal there gives him his new playground now. Now, how Flash Two makes sense of any of this, I guess we'll wait and see. But I just hope it's better than this movie. <laughs> that. God, gosh, that sounded harsh. I, I you know, yeah. I I really wanted to be uh, open, open, openly minded to this movie, but yeah. open minded rather. Um, and it just I I did not care for it. I really didn't. I I did not like it either. But I. I do want to reiterate that while I've been hard on this film as you have Brennan, I I'm not overtly cynical about it. I, I don't care for it. I probably won't ever watch it again, but Same. I'm not going like, I don't care to ever talk about it again. Like it's visuals. I'm kind of with you. You yeah. know, unless we want to debate its ethics a little bit further, we can certainly do that, but I'm not, I, I just don't care to just destroy this movie at all cost or at every turn just because like i don't i don't have the energy for that <laughs> i don't know where people it's get not the worth it's not worth that's worth not, not worth the time it's not worth the time I agree. at least for us we have, we have we have other things in our lives yeah. that we can you know focus on and i do think that there are not many but a few things here that are good or that i at least appreciate even Fair. if on the whole it's it's bad it's it's no bueno <laughs> Uh, uh, I'm with you. My memory of this movie came and went in a flash. Yeah, very well, well done. I think that's about. Uh, I think we can end the podcast there. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. It's Father's Day. I had to throw a dad joke in there, yeah, at least course. in some uh, we, we in, to, in some part. You have to. Uh, okay. Well, with that, uh, we do have a written review of this up on the website at insessionfilm.com. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we'll have a video review coming down the pipeline. Who knows? I, I do think that we'll get at least a video review up for Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. We'll have yeah. podcast reviews for that as well as Elemental coming soon. And a big main show podcast this weekend. What are we on? 539, yeah. I believe it is. 539, I uh, think. Stay yes. tuned for that. It's going to be a big show. I believe we're talking Wes Anderson, but... More importantly, we have a big announcement that we'll be making. uh, So you'll want to be, you know, be on the lookout for all of that. Yeah. With that, I think we can get out of here, Brennan. Any any final thoughts on anything? Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day once again, not just to you, JD, but to all the dads out there. 
Uh, hopefully they had a great time. I got to spend some time with my own dad, and it was uh, it was a lot of fun. I was glad Good. to do that. Yeah, yeah. I hope everyone had a great time being with their fathers um, or, or just having a great Sunday, depending on your situation, yeah. regardless. Absolutely. Whatever it is, I hope you had a great time, more of a great time than we did watching The Flash. Burn. Uh, I, I will say, though, despite how not good this movie is, I am still anticipating whatever James Gunn has up his sleeve. The, I'm, I'm genuinely curious. I'm at curious. The very least. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm curious. I don't think that the DCEU or whatever it's going to be called now is hopeless. They, no, they at no. least have a central figure who can help guide things forward. And they did not have that before. Right. So that's that's not nothing. So regardless of what we think of James Gunn, and I am a little hit or miss with James Gunn. I I don't love his Suicide Squad movie, funny enough. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. But yeah. Guardians 3 gave me a lot of hope. <laughs> so yeah, I know that's a Marvel movie. movie, but, you know, I think, I think Gunn knows this world, and hopefully, fingers crossed, going forward, DC will get back on track. You can hope for We shall see. We shall see. Anyway, thanks for being here, my friend. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time on the In Session Film Podcast. Oh, boy, the flash. Wow, flash. Ah, will save every one of us. <laughs>